I suppose that as you study through the Bible, you recognize that there are different kinds of congregations. There are congregations that were having some real difficult trouble. When you study the books of First and Second Corinthians, you recognize that that congregation was really having some troublesome times. You also recognize that when you study such books or letters that Paul wrote to churches like Philippi, that there was a lot of good within those churches, some things that were uh, going in the right direction. And yet, at the same time, when you read those letters, you realize that no one of us are perfect. There's no perfect preacher. There's no perfect congregation. There's not a perfect Christian. And as you and I strive, we want to strive to be better. We want to strive to be more pleasing to God in our lives. By way of introduction, I will point out to you that in the previous lesson, we talked about Paul saying that he counted all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. For him, everything in life was subservient to or less than serving Christ. And uh, he was able to let go of everything that he had in order to pursue being a Christian. And there's always a temptation for each of us to try to hang on to the old. Uh, I could give you a number of illustrations of that in life. Uh, Many of us, if we're men, we probably have an article of clothing, probably one that we've had for 20 years that we don't want to give up. Our wives have probably tried to sneak it out of the house and say, it's time to get rid of it. But we like to hang on to old things. The same thing is true for some women. They may have the favorite uh, blanket in the house, and the husband may say, it looks old and tattered. We want something different. Oh, no, no, that was my grandmother's quilt. You see the sentimentality that we have for some of the old things. When you go to the Bible, you find that people in the religious realm also had some sentimentality. We've been studying on Wednesday evenings in the auditorium class, the book of Galatians. And one of the things that you have is people who've been converted out of Judaism now being tempted to be drawn back. And Paul said, but now after you have known God or rather been known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire to be in bondage? Why do you want to go back and find your meaning in that which you left? You left those animal sacrifices. You left all of those things. And now why do you want to go back into them? Jesus used an illustration in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. He said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you can't turn loose once you've now put your hand to that plow to start doing and looking back, he said, you're not fit for God's kingdom. But in Luke 17... He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he's trying to explain to these people, they don't need to be looking back to Jerusalem. They need to be fleeing to the mountains to save their lives. And he says, in that day he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And then he says very simply, remember Lot's wife. And you know, her heart was in Sodom and she wanted to turn back and she wanted to go back there to Sodom. But you see, the old sometimes, if it's not as valuable, not as important, you need to go forward. And so Paul said, 
I press on. Tonight, I'd like for us to look at the latter half of Philippians chapter 3 and look at it from three of the perspectives that Paul uses here in this section, and that is to look at the past, to look at the present, and look at the future. And Paul is going to say that we've got to get rid of the past, we've got to make sure we have a proper view of the future, but more importantly, we keep our minds focused on what's coming up. Let's look at verse 13, if you will, in Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to the things which are ahead. Notice he says, forgetting those things which are behind. What does that mean in this context? Why might a person be tempted to look backwards? Well, I'd suggest there's maybe three reasons. Number one, you may have regrets over your past. You're constantly looking back behind you and saying, Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. Or it may be that you have a desire to look back to what was fun and what was familiar to you, what you enjoyed. Or you may look back with some pride over what you've accomplished in the past. And you want to look back and say, look where we were, look what we had done. Well, you don't need to look back with regret over past mistakes. If those sins have been forgiven, they shouldn't hold you back. They shouldn't stop you from going forward. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Look at me, Paul said. If you want to look and see who's the chiefest of sinners... I was the chiefest of sinners. When John writes in 1 John 2.12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. If you are a Christian, you've been obedient to the gospel. You've been baptized for the remission of your sins. Those sins that were in your past have been forgiven. And you should think that way. I'm sure many of the Corinthians probably grieved over their past history. And some of them were still struggling. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Some of you folks were those committing those sins. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. These people, that was who they were in the past. But some people may also look backwards because they remember something that was pleasurable to them, something that was familiar. When Stephen is recounting the history of Israel, and he's trying to explain the children of Israel came out of the bondage that was in Egypt headed toward the promised land. And we all know that during their period of time, he says, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and their hearts turned back to Egypt. They came out about to Numbers chapter 13, 
And they they start looking back. We want to go back to Egypt. Moses, why did you bring us out in this wilderness to die? They remembered the food that they had had there. They remembered all of the spices and they complained. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, Peter is describing a situation where people who've come out of the sinful past is now being drawn back into it. He said, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the bond servants or slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. For if, after they've escaped the corruption or the pollution in the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end with them is worse than the beginning. Notice these people have escaped, but they've been drawn back into it. And then he's going to illustrate it by saying, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having been washed to the wallowing in the mire. The pull to back go back into a previous lifestyle. Someone might say, oh, but you can do this, you can do that, you can live this way or that way. In fact, this afternoon I was reading about a young woman who was reared in the Lord's church. She is now a pastor of a Lutheran church. That's amazing in and of itself. But what was amazing was the article she wrote saying that it's all right for people to view porn. And I'm thinking, how in the world can you get to a, a position like that? She's doing exactly what was described here by Peter. But then sometimes we may look back with pride over some of our past accomplishments. And too often we are proud of our accomplishments. We look and say, look what I have done. Look, I did this. I did that. You remember the man who said, you know, look what I've done. I've, you know, got many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Luke 17, verse 10, so likewise, you, when you've done all those things which were commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. If I do everything that God has told me to do, I am only doing what he has commanded me. I don't deserve the pat on the back for that. Isaiah 64, verse 6, But we're all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We are fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. No one of us can look and say, Look how great my deeds are. Paul rejected here. This pride of pedigree saying, look from whom I came. Look and see my pedigree as a Jewish man. No, he says, I can't take pride in that. So some people live in the past. They're looking back to the past. Paul said, we don't do that. You want to be a great child of God. You want to be serving him right. You forget those things that are in the past. But what about the present? Many people are only living for the moment. They become satisfied with who they are and what they are and what they know and what they're doing. 
They're content to have just enough. Some people want just enough religion to make them feel good, but not enough religion that makes them change who they are and what they are. They never think about the obligations of the future, being prepared for the future. Like many in the secular world, they're seeking instant gratification. They want to get just a little bit of religion that makes them satisfied and gratified. But listen to Solomon in his wisdom in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall come poverty upon you like a prowler and need like an armed man. What is Solomon trying to say? There's a future out there. You need to prepare for it. There is coming a day of winter and you need to prepare your food in the summer. That's why he would say in chapter 30, verse 25, the ants are not a people, or they are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in summer. Are you preparing for your spiritual future as well. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 12, is certainly a passage that all of us need to think about. The parable of these uh, ten virgins preparing for the arrival of the bridegroom. I'm just going to draw attention to verses 1 through 3 and then verses 8 and 9. The kingdom of heaven should be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil with them, but the wives took oil in their vessels with their lamps. You'll notice the bridegroom tarries. The bridegroom's not there. Go down to verse 8. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Rather go to the sales and buy for yourselves. What you find is there's many people who wait and wait and wait. They're content with just whatever we have today, but they don't think about tomorrow. Which leads me to the third part of this lesson, which is where Paul wants to focus our attention, and that is being a people looking forward, looking to the future. Look with me at verse 12 and verse 14. Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold, also laid hold of me. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on, I press forward. You see, Paul does not believe that he has arrived. You know, one of the things that when I was preparing this lesson, I thought about uh, our GPS on your device, your vehicle, maybe on your phone. You're driving along, you don't know where you're going, and all of a sudden you're getting directions, you're getting directions, and it says, you have arrived. You have arrived. Paul says, we've not arrived yet. We're not to the end of our destination. 
In fact, as long as we're alive, as long as we're in this world, we're still progressing along. And it's interesting that he used the aorist tense here, which means a point in time. It's not like we've, we've reached the point in time where we can say, okay, I quit. I'm not going to do anything else. He said, we're not already perfected. Again, this is the perfect tense, which means something that was in the process in the past, but the present is a finished state. That is, I'm not perfect now. Maybe I've been working on something. The idea of the perfect tense is, it's like you've got a puzzle and you're putting a piece here and a piece there. And then when you get it all completed, it's perfected. It's a whole. No, we've not done that either. Paul says, I've not yet apprehended. That's another word. It's the idea of getting something and you now own it. You, you have it. You acquire it. Someone say, are you saved? Yes, I am saved. But I am not saved eternally yet. Paul clearly indicates that his past actions had not attained what he desired. It was still in the future. I want you to listen to Romans 8, verses 24 and 25. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he still for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's something that's out there that you're still looking for. You haven't gotten it yet. You're, you're still hoping for it. That's why you and I live in hope. So verse 12, he says, I press on. Verse 14, he says, I press toward the goal. I'm heading in that direction. Both of these are in the present tense, which means it's something that you're continually doing. I am pressing on. I am pressing forward. That means every day that I get up, then I have to keep my mind focused on where am I going? What direction am I traveling? It indicates direction. Notice, he said, forward, ahead, upward. Those tell me the direction I need to be going in because that indicates a purpose, a goal, a prize from verse 14. Where is that? And what is that? Well, the place is heavenly. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Listen how Paul phrases it to the Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. He's saying is if you want to be where Jesus is at, you've got to put your mind toward that. You've got to make that your goal, that your desire. When the writer of the book of Hebrews was talking about looking at our lives, he says, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that were spoken. You know, And then he's going to explain there, seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, you look around about you, you, you say, I've got to run this race. I've got to finish this race. Anything's getting in my way, I've got to get rid of it. Why? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What did Jesus do? 
He looked at everything in life as only being incidental and every difficulty is something to be conquered so that you can reach your goal. That's exactly what he wanted. The prize of which he speaks is eternal life. Paul will use the metaphor, the figure of like someone trying to win a game. And he says, do you not know that those who run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may be able to obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Here's these people who go out and they run a race. And when they get to the end, what do they get? They get some sort of award. In Paul's day, they got a garland crown to put on their head. You know what happened to that garland crown? After about four or five days when it dried out, it was nothing more than a bunch of leaves. Paul said they do that for a perishable crown. But we're pressing on. We're trying to win the prize of an eternal life. James said in James 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You and I are pressing on so that the day of judgment, when we stand before the Lord, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. Well, having studied this part of Philippians chapter 3, how would you describe your own spiritual condition? See, it's very easy to study this passage and look and say, oh, well, we're looking as a congregation. I'm talking about us individually. Am I a backslider? We don't use that term much anymore, but y'all know what that means. That's a person who was once very active in the church of the the work of the church, but now is sort of stepped back and said, I don't think I'm going to do much anymore. I think I'm going to let someone else be responsible for that. I think I'm just going to take it easy. Are you stagnant? Are you just treading water? Are you content with the the present, how things are going? Or do you have a goal in mind that says, I'm going to press on that I intend to know more Bible this time next year than I know right now? Am I going to be more involved in the work of the church and not just sit back and let things happen, but do something, be involved in it? If you want to arrive at heaven, you must press on. That's the difference between churches that struggle and churches that do a great job. That's the difference between Christians who are mediocre and get by and those who are growing spiritually and growing in their love for the Lord and they're wanting to go to heaven. We're going to sing the song, Let Him Have His Way With Thee. If you want to become a Christian tonight, come forward. We'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian and you look at your life and you say, it's wrong, I know I need to make a change, let us pray with you. Would you come together? We stand and sing.